Hey, Blenders, on this week's show, we're ranking the Indiana Jones movies, reviewing Dial of Destiny, and director Lee Cronin is joining us to discuss Evil Dead Rise. Mike Rowe here with a few thoughts on my favorite sweatshirt, a classic zip-up hoodie that used to be navy blue but has since faded to what the fashionistas call a distressed indigo. It's 13 years old, soft as a flannel bathrobe, and after a few hundred dirty jobs, demonstrably and undeniably indestructible. This is the kind of sweatshirt girlfriends like to permanently borrow, but I've held on to this one because I got it from American Giant. American Giant makes all their stuff right here in the USA so they can control every link in their own supply chain. That matters because when you buy American Giant, you not only get great quality, you create jobs for people in factory towns all over the country. No pressure, but if you give a damn about the business of making things in America, you got to support the companies who are doing it right. Go to American-Giant.com slash Mike to get 20% off your first order. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike. Hello, Blenders, and welcome, welcome to episode number 268 of Real Blend, a podcast that's still trying to forget that Mutt Williams happened. On this week's show, we're ranking the Indiana Jones movies. We're reviewing James Mangold's Dial of Destiny, and director Lee Cronin is going to join us to discuss Evil Dead Rise, which is now available at home on home video, which is why Lee joined us. By us, I mean myself. Hi, I'm Sean O'Connell, the managing <laughs> editor here at Cinema Blend, co-hosting the show as always with Jake Hamilton of Fox 32 in Chicago. Hello, Jake. How are you, sir? You don't wear it often, but my God, man, when you have a collar on, you yeah. just you look fancy. It's you out look of character. Nice. You look you look very vacationed. I'm very, I'm very tan. I am you very tan. Glow about you, peeling underneath. They look um, good. Thank you very much, Kevin. I appreciate that. This is how unusual it is that I'm wearing a button-down shirt. When I came out of the office, we I did th- uh, four junkets in three hours today. That's been that kind of day. And I went downstairs, and Michelle saw me in the button-down shirt, and she goes, "Are you all right?" That was her response. Are you all right? <laughs> Yeah, I'm fine. Thank you. I just you, dressed up. You got a haircut too, didn't you? Did you got a haircut as well? too. Oh, this is why you guys need to be watching on the YouTube channel because you get to see all these amazing things that we're discussing. Um, in addition to Kevin McCarthy, a Fox 32 in Chicago. Hi, Kev. Good to see you. Uh, nope. nope. I'm Fox 5 in DC. What did I say? It's okay. You said I, Fox, I say 32 Fox 32 in Chicago. Chicago. God, it's been a while since we did this. But we took last week off. This is actually, actually, Kevin, this is where we're telling you, uh, your producer's called. You guys have to move to swapping cities. <laughs> right. You're swapping markets. It's like Freaky Friday. Well, it's the worst Freaky weird, Friday sequel ever. <laughs> in a weird way, I am. Uh, so I collect the Starbucks mugs every time I visit a new city. What? And so I am using the Chicago one today. So that's actually a really fantastic. interesting coincidence. That's pretty um, sweet. You know who also collects these is Ben Mendelsohn. We had a whole bit about it in, in our interview for he really? uh, for Secret Invasion, which was really funny because he was sitting next to Amelia Clark, who's talking about Starbucks. And obviously, Game of Thrones had the infamous Starbucks <laughs> cup. Um, right. But I, I do have a quick question. I don't understand the opening joke. Can you explain it, please? Do you remember Mutt Williams? Mutt Williams. Uh, it's the son of Anita Jones. All the better. Kevin's, Kevin's living yeah. your reality. That you're All the better. You have forgotten. Yeah. That Mutt Williams That's, happened. Congratulations. We're all trying to get to your plane of. of Mutt, uh, Mutt is the son of Indiana Jones. Sean oh, you're talking about the Shia LaBeouf character? Yeah, yeah, it's Mutt. Dude, I've only seen Crystal Skull <laughs> one time. Okay. And it was in theaters before it came out. If I would never have guessed that that was his name. You know, ever, we're doing the tier ever. list today. 
Oh, no, I've seen all of them, obviously, yeah. but I've only seen Crystal Skull one time. And there's a reason for that. But we can get to that later. But so much so. I mean, it's funny because and we'll get into this later on in, in the discussion. But there's a great reference in the new indie to that storyline that I thought was super emotional. But I still couldn't tell you the name of Shia's character until well, now. It's uh, it's Mutt Williams. And I believe it's named after uh, John Williams. Who knows? Right. Little nickname <laughs> yeah. to uh, to Mutt. So uh, also one reason you need to go to the YouTube channel this week to watch the show is to see Gabe Kovach's luxurious hair. Thank Gabe, you. it's looking amazing. I think it looks the only thing better than than Gabe's hair is Gabe's Pixar hair. Uh, that I is I've I've got thick hair, but that is those are some locks on that character. More than enough people said you look like uh, Trent Krim from the Independent. Yeah. Oh, that's a wonderful Trent Krim. Independent. All right, housekeeping. Uh, as I mentioned, we are over on YouTube, so give us a, a like and a subscribe while you're there. Use the comments underneath the episodes. It's going to become the new area where we hang out and interact with you guys and discuss what's going on in the show. We all have a call to action at the end of this episode. I want to thank everybody who threw us some recommendations for uh, who we look like as Pixar characters, and you're going to have a fun one at the end of this week's episode. So go to youtube.com backslash Real Blend Podcast. As I mentioned, hit subscribe. Turn on your notifications and we'll see you there every Friday morning. Uh, you can get the audio version of the show everywhere you listen to your podcast. And if you want to sign up for Real Blend Premium, it gets you an ad free version of the show and a newsletter from me this week. Uh, so check the description uh, in the information of wherever you are enjoying Real Blend right now, and it'll tell you how to get to Real Blend Premium. So I know it's Indiana Jones week and we're going to be doing the tier list. And yes, Jake Hamilton. Well, I think this perfectly leads into what I think you're about to say. Oh. I would recommend if you can uh, YouTube for this week, if only for a moment that happens during our interview this week that you're going to want to physically see. That's a fantastic tease for the interview that we we're about to throw to, which is Lee Cronin. So Warner Brothers Home Entertainment came back around to us and they said, hey, guys, Evil Dead Rise is coming to home video and director Lee Cronin is doing a few interviews and we think you guys would have a lot of fun with them. And I hadn't yet caught up with Evil Dead Rise at that point, so I wanted to watch it. And I knew Kevin was talking about um, how horrifying it was in a good way uh, from earlier in the year. And so we had Lee on. And yes, you're correct, Jake. There is a visual element uh, towards the end, uh, the back half of this interview that you guys are absolutely going to want to see. Uh, so if you can this week, go out of your way to try to find us on the YouTube channel. Watch the video um, and you guys will enjoy it. And in the meantime, this is Lee Cronin, the director of Evil Dead Rise. Uh, we're so excited to have you on. We're massive fans of the movie. Uh, please feel free to geek out as much as possible. We're a filmmakers podcast and we love getting into sort of the nerdy nitty gritty of things. Uh, but I want to start out talking about something that happened after you and I spoke uh, for TV, which is that when the movie came out, a lot of people uh, clipped the title card reveal from the film and basically said, why don't more movies go this hard uh, why aren't more movies this artistic with their title card reveal and i'm just sort of curious at what point in the in the process did you guys realize like okay not only are we going with a title card like it is going to blow your fucking socks off when you see it I, I'm, I'm glad you've hit on this one because i'm glad people received it the way that they did and um, this was this was something that was in the screenplay so the very first time, the first thing I wrote was that entire opening sequence. And it was kind of like a warm up for everything that was to come. And it's kind of a little bit what the actual sequence is in the movie also. It's like, it's like a taste 
and of the experience that's to follow. So I always knew I wanted it to be very gutsy, very operatic, um, you know, kind of like to just let it all hang out and be like, we're here. Um, so I knew that before <laughs> I actually reached the end of the sequence. And yeah, like the very first draft of the screenplay um, and of that sequence, you know, I, you know, like to use different fonts and things in my scripts if it's presenting something that gives a, a visual aspect. So it's got big, giant red lettering. It's described what happens. It wasn't something we found later and thought, that's a cool shot. Could we do this? It was by design, you know, it was written on the page and by design 18 months before I actually went and shot that scene. Damn. Do you have a favorite title reveal of all time? Sorry, my dogs are very excited. Do you have a, fa- a favorite title reveal? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm blank. I'm kind of, I'm kind of running through my head. Um, some, you know, I also sometimes like, like simplicity. Like I really love, I, it's, I really love the opening titles in The Shining, both for the way the camera moves and stuff like that. But the way things roll and the colors that are used is something that I really like. Um, and actually, my previous film, The Hole in the Ground, it's got it's got a pretty gutsy title reveal as well, but it's it's a much smaller font. I took a little bit more from The Shining in that case, but it's got this big, as I said, looming, grinding music as well. I might have to come back to you on that one someday because I'm, you know, in the process of talking to a lot of people. So I'm a little blank on even thinking of the name of another single movie right now. Now, you know, it's interesting if we had a drinking game for the number of times a filmmaker has talked about how The Shining has influenced them, <laughs> we would all be wasted. I've got my I've got my shining. Uh, yes. Oh, my <laughs> God. Great. Wait, which, did which you I, write red rum on the no, souls no, no, or did they come that way? That's on. That's on. Two, them. three, seven. I, <laughs> that I, is I, fantastic. I, I, I'm a bit of a shoe fan and I, I bought these. I feel like I maybe bought these even before I went and shot Evil Dead and I forgot about them. I found them in the bo- in a box like two weeks ago and I was like, wow. So, yeah, the uh, yeah, it's 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 an influential movie. I saw it at an impressionable age. That's incredible. Those are really cool. All right. So you talk about influences uh, and seeing things at an impressionable age. Obviously, Sam Raimi's original films were so influential uh, to you. And, you know, I'm reading up on on uh, things that you, interviews you've given prior to this film. And you mentioned Sam inviting you out to lunch and how it wasn't until kind of at the end when you were leaving that you just off the cuff asked him about Evil Dead. Um, first off, before we get to that, I want to just I want to get your reaction to when uh, the email or the call comes that Sam Raimi would like to have lunch with you. Uh, and do you ever think about how different life would have been if you hadn't brought that up at the end of the lunch? Yeah, I do. I, I would have made a different movie. You know what I mean? I had a couple of other things that I'd written and, you know, I was confident that I could get one of those made. But yeah, it was it was a nice moment because it was I was kind of already in the middle of a, of an exciting whirlwind. So I was in Park City for Sundance um, and we actually hadn't premiered my movie yet. I'd arrived. I got altitude sickness. So I'd been like sick as a dog for like 36 hours and was finally crawling out of my pit of doom and getting I don't say I have a good time because our movie was was pre-sold. So I was doing so much press. I had family and friends there and I didn't get to hang out with anybody. It was like wall to wall. And a lot of focus and attention and people wanting to meet, which is which is great. But it was it was actually even more intense than the release of Evil Dead Rise, because it was just you're up a mountain and it was everything was happening all at the same time. Because right. I was coming out of right. nowhere at that point. Nobody knew who, who I was at all. Um, and I just, you know, the usual emails are coming in and it was an email. And uh, it was it was from a guy called Rommel Adam, who Sam works with, just saying, look, Sam has seen the movie. He'd seen it at a press screening in L.A. He'd really like to meet. Can we make that happen? Um, and you know what? It was something I'd always hoped, you know, because I'm a fan of what the guys do um, and, uh, you know, always hoped that I might have the opportunity to just present who I was as a filmmaker. 
So that was great because then, you know, I got to enjoy the premiere of the movie. And then I was back in L.A. for like two weeks. It was the last meeting in my schedule. Not only was it the last thing I said on the way out the door, it was the last thing I said pretty much on the way to a plane to fly back across the Atlantic to Ireland after three weeks of this insane journey, debuting my movie and meeting people. So and it was that thing of like, I'm a fan. But Sam came in as a producer, thinking about many things and wanting to know about the things that I was working on. And then towards the end of the conversation, as we were kind of wrapping up, I was like, are you going to do more Evil Dead? And I was really asking as a fan more than anything. Right. And he was like, yeah, why would you be interested? And I was like, hell yeah. And it kind of kind of went from there. That's amazing. Damn. That's so great. Damn. <laughs> you, that. you know, I got to watch it as a, as a be honest, as I'm watching this movie, there's so many moments where I thought, like, how would Ash have handled this? If Ash were in that room, if Ash were in that apartment, what would he do? So I am curious, does your film exist in the same universe as Sam Raimi's? Like, do we is there a possibility that there might be some sort of evil dead cinematic universe that's going to end up sort of being sort of the evil dead version of the Avengers where all these characters are going to be in one movie together? I think it's always possible because in a way, its strength is the shankiness of its rules, right? Like there's time travel. There's been so many different things that have happened. To just go back even to the beginning of that before looking into a universe, I think it's like witch ash because he's a very different ash in each movie he could he's almost like a different character there is that journey in, that he goes on as he becomes more heroic and maybe more smart ass and all of those things i think i think beth as a character has more in common with um with ash from the original film because there's a slight clumsiness she's not necessarily to the fore immediately um and she has to kind of take on that mantle so i think in a way he probably would have behaved similarly like a little bit clumsy not perfect not 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 born a hero um, but in terms of it all coming together, like from my point of view, there is currently a linear timeline. Um, and that's just my point of view, which is the order that the movies came out in. It's just where the books may and could appear in those gaps between those movies. Like, where have they been? Where has this book been before it was in the vault? You could go quite far back in time, etc. Um, but to me, it's like they all exist in the same world. Like if someone did their research in this world and looked and was like, oh my God, did you hear about this thing that happened in an apartment block in LA? And someone goes, oh, that was like those teenagers back in the 80s that like out mm-hmm. in the cabin in the woods. So to me, it actually runs quite cleanly. Um, and the existence of the three books is established in Army of Darkness and then clarified in Evil Dead Rise in terms of what they are. So even if you look at Fede's book, where where was that before the prologue of that movie? I think Bruce talked about it before, like the books in a way are the things that you can use to kind of follow your nose towards them and, and use them as the place to set up the horror. You know, Lee, I, I want to uh, talk about a similar topic, though, um, about how much, if at all, you were thinking about audience members who might have never seen an Evil Dead movie and who your movie might be their gateway into this. Like, how do you balance uh, I'm serving the fans who are coming to this because they want the next Evil Dead versus a generation of kids, you know, who might be picking this up just because they saw a great poster or some sort of trailer? Yeah, yeah. Man, look, that's a great question. It really is because. I wanted to do both. Like I wanted to make sure I'm a fan and I wanted to make sure the fans were happy. The last thing I wanted to be was the guy that made an evil dead film. That wasn't an evil dead movie in any way, shape or form, but it was very much on my mind from the get go that I wanted to draw in a new audience, a new audience. And I'm so happy and proud that that actually happened. Like with the box office success that we had, there's kind of no doubt in anybody's mind that there were new people that, that came along and maybe didn't even know just so this is a crazy scary trailer and what is this insane movie and they go and watch it and then they learn that there's something more so for me the way that i made that work was i thought about 
I looked at like nieces and nephews I have. I thought about myself when I was younger and thought about trying to create an experience that felt like seeing something like this for the first time. Mm-hmm. And also, I needed the tried and tested fans to also experience some new things in this world for not just to feel like a, a retread. Because in a way, it's fun, man. People can't quite pin. It's not a reboot. It's not a remake. Like the closest thing I could call it is a sequel, if anything, mm. just on the basis of that timeline. It's just, it's a sequel that's off on another avenue, you know, down a different bloody artery. Um, and so from my point of view, as I said, I needed and wanted to to manage both of those things. I trusted my instinct with Evil Dead. I trusted I'd understand the DNA and that I could infuse what felt like a unique standalone movie with those important things, which therefore, as I said, would please the fans, but bring in new people that could just, the joy is you don't need to know anything about Evil Dead to watch the film. Right. Yeah, true. Nice. Lee, no one directs a movie like thinking, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to direct this for streaming. I'm going to direct this for people to watch at home. But there was a period of time where this was going to go to streaming. I am curious if, if just what exactly happened, if it was it like one screening that someone at Warner brothers saw and, and went, hell no, absolutely. This is going to theaters. Do you remember when you found out and what was the, what's the moment in the movie that you thought, Oh, thank God. Now people can see this moment on the big screen. That opening title, right? Um, yes. The, <laughs> um, like, it's funny, like, there's always, you know, the endeavor to make this movie was that it was going to be a theatrical film. That was always my insight and understanding going into it. But then we found ourselves, because the life cycle, you know, I, I met Sam in February 2019. Um, so we were a full 12 months out before COVID hit. And another, essentially, 12 months out before we even realized how it could come and go and cause all these problems. And theaters are open are people coming back are they not what's happening with vaccines so we were actually in a very very mixed up time and at that point in time i was just glad to be making my movie when when it was you know kind of determined because evil dead rise isn't the only film at that time in studios that would have pivoted essentially because there was a pivot to streaming you know because it would have been a, a theatrical enterprise if it wasn't for covid sure. so it was the pivot to streaming i just you know had great support from the studio great support from the execs at new line from Dave Neustadter and Richard Brenner over there that were just like, don't lose sight of the movie you're making. Um, and nothing is ever really set in stone in this business. Uh, and then it was a case of, you know, cause I, I'm for me, I'm about the theatrical experience. I think people got that when they go to a cinema, if you went to the right theater and that volume was set just right, you're getting that full noise, uh, roller coaster, crazy, terrible. The volume on that title card reveal is pretty incredible. It's a loud one. We pushed it. Yeah. We definitely yes. pushed it. So, so then, so then, like, yeah, it was. It, then you, you, you know, you finish the movie and you start to test it. And even from the early test screenings, where it was an imperfect film, it didn't have all the VFX. It had a te- lot of temporary things. It still has bits of green screen and wires and things that you know, which affects how people respond to the movie. But the key thing people kept saying is, this movie's playing. It's playing in a room, mm-hmm. and when it plays in a room, then you know that maybe that's the best place for it to be. By the end of that post-production journey, when we finished the movie and did the final test screening, it kind of blew the doors off. Um, And that happened in a context where there were new, very senior, very important people in that room. And they got to firsthand experience what this could be, which was not an expensive movie in the grand scheme of things. But then that had the potential to go on. And 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 do do box office. So yeah, and it's like we had that test screening, and then 
there was still that gap while you were kind of waiting and waiting and waiting. And that was one of those spells where you're like watching your emails and phone and ringing everybody, you know, trying to figure <laughs> out, is there any insight deep down inside? I kept, I just kept believing. I really did keep believing that it would happen. And then, yeah, it's just like, it's a Tuesday evening and it's like, Hey, can you jump on a zoom? And it's like, yeah, we're going to wide release this movie. And that's a nice moment. That's amazing. Okay. But we're getting a chance to speak to you on behalf of the home video release. And I have to tell you, the 4K translation and specifically your sound design is incredible. <laughs> I mean, you keep talking about the the title card. I'm going to mention the sound of a scalp hitting a dock right before yeah, that. Yeah, one. That's a squelchy one. Oh, man. Talk to me a bit about your approach to sound design and some of the uh, unique things that you did in this because... It's a dark movie, and I want to talk to you about your lighting in a little bit, too, because you choose to kill the power in your location, essentially. Um, but there's a lot of times when sound is driving you through the scene, and and I think you do an incredible job of, of finding unique sounds for each scene. Yeah, look, sound design is huge to me. It's 50%. Like, the, 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 the soundscape is 50% of what you experience. I remember way back in film school where I didn't learn a whole lot. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, I was just, you know, I was just re- re- rebellious uh, young guy in film school trying to figure out who he was and what he wanted to do. Um, and, uh, but I remember these things that always stick out in your head. And I remember speaking, one of the first ever sound lectures I had. Um, and the guy was saying, here's the insane thing about sound. If you're in a, if you're in a movie theater and, you know, movie style has changed. It's not like the, a classical form anymore you can have a shaky camera out of focus blurry all these different things take the Blair Witch Project right cameras all over the place make you seasick yeah if in the middle of that movie the soundtrack dropped out for a second you would jolt and it would take you out of the experience wow that's so right you can do a lot with picture but you can actually get away with a lot with picture but with sound you've got to get the definition and the refinement and the experiential nature of it just right so I've always treated it with the same level of detail and focus as picture, as as performance, as everything else. There's no real hierarchy in my mind. So when I write, I don't overload it and go, this is the sound of, but I find ways of using language to also for you to hear the experience as you're reading as well. Um, and sometimes that's just using big chunky words, you know, like whoosh, bang, but you know, almost like old school Batman. But I I I try and get that experience. And in fact, in this screenplay, the first words are before picture. So I'm imagining the studio logos and I'm describing the sound before we cut to picture, which wow. says something like, and I also describe, I describe the sound of the force and say, there's a noise it's building the sound of a thousand maniacs screaming. It's in your head now. Like that's the way I like. So my sound designer, Peter, as all great sound designers are, are in, like, they are, they're the ultimate, um, you know, nerds of their own work and their own process. So he loved reading the script and was like, oh my God, I can hear the movie. I can hear the movie on the page. That's and, awesome. And then it was about translating that into, you know, into what we needed to do. It needed to be big. It needed to be brash. It's a loud movie, but we also needed to control because if everything's loud all the time, it loses impact. And that's not as simple as just going, we make it quiet at times. It's actually about the types of dynamics, the type of sounds that you use in certain places. And then specifically, because everything about the film was practical, we tried as best we could to carry that practicality through to the creation of sound. So there's so many digital effects out there where you can go and look up like, oh yeah, sound of book pages in in wind or whatever the hell it might be. Yeah, There's something for everybody. No, no, we Peter went and got 150-year-old books and an audio setup and would turn those pages for real so that they yeah, were- Yeah, and old. why not? Why not, yeah. right? 
it's the height of creativity at that point. And it's like an, even working with an act, like, what's your motivation, Peter? I get to go and record the sound of a 150-year-old book. Like, it gets to do something different. So, yeah, like, and e- even while we were mixing the movie, there'd still be gadgets and things getting built and phone calls to, to you know, designers and studios going, you know, we're not happy with the sound of the doorbell buzzer. It just doesn't sound old enough. And someone will send a photograph and it's like, oh, they've got a lot of some old nuts and bolts and keys and they've put it on top of a vibrating pad that they put a current through. And it's like, hey, that's the sound that we want. So we were like super, super practical with everything all the time. Even- so here's a phobia I didn't know I had before watching your movie, Lee, and that's eggshells in eggs that are cooking. Oh, <laughs> it annoys yeah, the daylights out of me now. <laughs> it's nice. It's nice. I'm. I'm. I, I like eggs, but I'm weird. I think that's why. But I'm. I've got a weird thing with eggs. They're healthy. They're good. They make you know something quick to have. But it's like, yeah, I've got a process when I cook eggs. There's. There's just got to be conditions and and yeah. And it's often like simple things that already ick me out that I'll try and subvert them and do something <laughs> a little. I love the fact that we they went and they got a really really thin needle and injected blood into those eggs. So when you see the blood in the pan. Are on the floor. That's not like a little digital effect or anything like that. That's we put the blood in the eggs and the egg cracked. The blood was already there. Oh, that's so sick. That's, so that's sick. amazing. <laughs> um, Lee, I would love to know what your uh, process, what your experience with the MPAA was, like what your rating experience was like. Was there ever an NC seventeen version? Are you surprised at what got by? Like I'm a, I'm surprised this is R to be honest, in the most complimentary way since. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had no involvement with it. I just got told, yeah, we got an R rating. And it's funny, I have the cert saved on my laptop. I keep meaning to get it printed on a mug, um, uh, you know, maybe with a few blood drips. But the um, the uh, I've got a vague memory that could be a dream or a nightmare or maybe the truth that we maybe we weren't. It wasn't like it's going to be an NC-17. We just got a little bit of advisement about maybe trimming like two or three seconds, if you know what I mean. Like, yeah. At most, but it was after I was like, oh yeah, of course, R rated makes sense because see, I grew up in Ireland where I always knew this movie would be in 18s, and an R rating is a very different thing because you can bring someone young in if they're accompanied appropriately or whatever way it works. Whereas in Ireland, thou shalt not pass if you're under 18, except joyfully, lots of young people sneak into the cinema over here and watch it because they heard it's a scary movie. This type of thing that I would have done when I was younger. Um, so. My surprise, the surprise aspect only came later when people would go, holy shit, I can't believe you actually got away with it. And I went, oh, really? And I was like, OK, well, I'm I'm really glad we did because we were able to pull in as wide an audience as we possibly could. All right, Lee, knowing that someone in Ireland is going to buy a ticket to something else and sneak into your film uh, or already did. Uh, what's a film you remember doing that for when you were young that really had an impression on you? I can't remember a specific one, but I'll tell you an adjacent story which was when Twister came out. Yeah. Um, it was My mother's friend was bringing me and a cousin and her daughter and a few of us. And I was like, we're going to see Twister. And I was a little bit older than everybody. And they had a really specific, I can't remember what the rating was. It might've been, it was a 12s. We've got different ratings here and they've changed over the years. So it's like, you had to be over 12, but typically that was flexible, but they had, it was a real thing. You absolutely have to be. And I kept saying to this mother that was bringing me along going, hey, look, got to make sure we go into Twister. Don't say that they're 11. I was said I was 13 and 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 these are the kids. I was like, of course, you just told me, what age are they? They're 11. They're like, you can't come in. So we had to go and see James and the Giant Peach, the animated um, movie as well. And I'm a big <laughs> fan. E- equally like, terrifying. Yeah, yeah. Di- different, kind, different kind of terror. But I remember sitting there the whole time kind of going, 
could I just go to the bathroom and go in watch Twister? Right, right. And, and regret that I didn't do it because I never saw Twister in theaters in the end. Oh, oh man, man. Bond cries. I know. <laughs> hey, Twisters is going to Twisters is going to get Twisters. Made. Twisters is, where, where the where the S is a dollar sign. Yeah, I can, I can go and uh, check that. You know, well, actually, speaking of aliens, because that's what that's what we were referencing in that joke. Um, Fede is has moved from Evil Dead and is making the next alien film. Is there uh, another horror franchise that you would love to to jump into? Not many. And um, like, I absolutely love that universe. And I'm really happy for Fede as an example. Like, I think that's fantastic. And it's it's for me it's the perfect mashup of sci-fi and horror so like it's a really 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 great place to be there is one it's always been there and because i remember when at that same time as i was meeting with sam and i was signing with my my agents that i'm that i'm with that i work with over at caa and it's a question that you often get asked in these times is there like like you're asked is there any franchises and i of course i said evil dead in the room and thankfully that came together and the other one that i would even though i know it would be impossibly hard um, but I would love to have a swing at a Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, oh, that, that, dude. That, that is one. But I know instinctively, I know instinctively that it would just have to be, I'm not saying apply the same formula as Evil Dead Rise. Take, and I know Freddy is so important in the, in, his, in the guise of how he's been, but take the DNA and the essence, take everything that's so vital and special and see is there a way of subverting and playing with that in it, in it. And that's the one that like, if someone brought it to me, I wouldn't go hunting it down in the sense that, right. Cause it would be such a hard uh, chalice to carry. But if someone came to me and said, take a look at this, I'd be like, Oh man, I, I, <laughs> I can't not try and figure this out. Right. So that, well, I, I, I'd also heard like, I feel like in Sean, correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't Mike Flanagan also recently say like, no one can figure out who has, the rights to nightmare. Like I heard that there's, there's some confusion as to right. like who owns Freddie, which I find fascinating that an entire team of Hollywood lawyers can't figure out who has Freddie. Yeah, I think, I, I think, and I, I could be completely wrong. So strike it from the record if I am, but I think oftentimes with certain titles, if they're not, uh, if another movie is made by a certain date, they revert to other people and right. there might be different ownership there. And good, all it takes, man, is for someone to have unfortunately left the earth and it's like you're figuring out an estate or whatever it might be. So it's a little, I know that's happened with Hellraiser over the years where rights have moved around and it's like, you got to like, we got to jam a movie out in the next 18 months or we won't be able to make another one in X amount of years. So I'm yeah. sure the the concept, the core brilliance behind that boogeyman in your nightmares can return in some guys. And I've heard some, there's been obviously some awesome pitches over the years from like, I know Peter Jackson had one and John Saxon had a take as well, I think back in the day. Okay. Um, so yeah, but it's, it, be, be, I said, being like super, super terrified of the notion of someone giving it to me uh, to take on, but that's, that's the one as well. It's just, it's str- And there's things I love, like being a Mike, amazing job with Dr. Sleep. I couldn't go near the shining. I couldn't go near doing something with Jaws, for example, things that not things that I love. Um, but Nightmare on Elm Street, a little bit like Evil Dead, it's got such a range of tonalities and madness. It feels like there's an opportunity to actually bring something new into that space. So, yeah. Yeah, but Flanagan did it. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe how The Shining worked into Dr. Sleep. I was stunned. 
stunned how that happened. Uh, you do know that making a movie because you have to make it uh, contractually or you'll lose the title is the most creative reason to make a film, though, of course, without question. Yeah, we have to do this or the lawyers will take it from us. So, yeah, um, I am curious, uh, your book prop. Uh, where is your book prop right now? It's in a drawer right beside me right now. And you're OK with that? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm currently on the hunt for the right display case for it. And okay. I'm having a hard time finding the right display case to put it in. So it's wrapped in bubble wrap in a in a drawer alongside my clapperboard, the copy of Wuthering Heights, one of the medals from the vault, and a couple of other little keepsakes. And I've also got my 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 bloody shoes that I wore, the same set, pair of white shoes that I wore on set every day. They oh, were my diary. So I got a personalized set of Evil Dead white Adidas Stan Smiths that I wore every single day uh, on set. So I'm trying to find the right display case to have all of these little uh, important aspects. Um, not not to uh, <laughs> be too bold, but just because we're wrapping up, is there anything that is accessible to you right now that we could see for the video fans that are watching this? Let me see. Not to hand, but if you, if you give, me, give me one second. Hang on. Of course, yeah. take your time. It is literally just in the bubble wrap. I brought it on a little bit of a tour when I was promoting in the UK and Ireland. Uh, I didn't want to travel with it. And I remember I was worried when I flew back from New Zealand that, oh uh, my god, god that's that, amazing holy shit <laughs> that's the hero one we, we we had a variety of different books for different needs but you know we had some with like different paperweights because again we the pages moved for real like we used wind nothing with that was cg we wanted everything to be as practical as we possibly could but this is kind of the all-encompassing like number one basically like this was the number one book all oh my god some people will know someone who's like there's even like a bony spine down the back. Holy shit. Kind of I have goosebumps looking at that actually. Yes. Didn't get to shoot that as much as we would have would have liked. Um, but I'm just looking here, trying to find a page. Well, there we go. Hang on. Perfect. There's the there's the the old history of the marauder rising <laughs> up. Holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> ah, that's great. Yeah. Now, oh, did you just so say good. on the last day, I'm taking this? Like I'm taking this home? I think I said it on the first day. Okay. Um, well, because yeah. I know Warner Brothers, like, I mean, they've got a vault. Like, they, they've got it. We've been in it. They've got a whole st a studio full of their shit. Like, I know it's yeah. not often as easy as saying, I'm taking this thing home. Yeah. No, it was, you know what? We were out on our own in New Zealand and no one was going to stop me. So, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's something that I do treasure. And I can't, just can't find the right thing to put in. But then also, someone very nicely made me a photo album based on the book. Oh, um, that is fucking of, awesome. Of all my memories of promoting the movie. So like it's full of photographs from that's amazing. That's fantastic. Oh, that's great. Which is really, really cool. So I have to find a really special place for, for that as well. Oh my um, God. Yeah, look, look, I'm a movie fan and making movies is hard. And sometimes those little rewards, like this is this is your history, this is your archive. These are the things that sure. this book, this book took. Apart from writing it and, and figuring out how I wanted the book to be on the page, which was determined again, we didn't figure out the book in post in or sorry in prep. The book was clearly described what it was: the teeth, the veining, the spine, all of those details. Um, but from when I stepped into prep, which was a twelve-week prep, and then we had the book on set, probably in the start of week three. So this was worked on for about fourteen weeks with a team of people, team of artists, designers. And then even when it was done, we were still never 100% happy and we were always tweaking and improving. Every one of those pages has been hand-aged by hand by the prop master um, who went in and used sandpaper and blow torches and every single page has been treated that way uniquely. So it's quite Lee, special. 
That is incredible. Thank you so much for sharing that with us oh and for gosh. coming on the that show, was, man. Yeah, we're out of time. That was fucking They're, awesome. They're that kicking was awesome. Us out, but we could have sat with you for hours, man. This was a blast. Thanks so much. I hope to talk to you again. Please, right, brother, anything, you're welcome care. anytime. We'd love to have you on. Thank you. Take care, guys. All the best. Bye-bye. Awesome. This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. Uh, we want to thank our friends at Warner Brothers Home Video and also to Lee Cronin, uh, who was a terrific guest on the show. And, I, you know, Jake, what was funny is that book, uh, moment was so just kind of out of left field. It was a quite Jake and I were prepping the questions before we did the interview. I was kind of like, I wonder where that book is. I wonder where his book is. And so we threw it in at the last minute of just like, Hey, where, where do you have it? And it's so fun. Like we've had a couple of examples of guests who've been on the show where we will point out things that are in their room. Michael Giacchino did this amazing thing where he brought all these props through. Mm. Uh, Hans Zimmer did this thing as well too. And um, so that was really, that was neat to see his, yeah. his book of the dead. Remember when Zimmer said, yeah, right behind me is where I showed Christopher Nolan the score for Interstellar. I'm like, yes. like that is insane. If you haven't seen that, uh, that the video of Hans Zimmer on our show, it was amazing. By the way, I was curious. Did you ask Lee about directing the family event film of the year? Evil Dead Rise. I was just curious if like he sees that movie. It is a family film. Really? The, the good news the is the fact that it's on Max now, you know, it's bring your kids to the couch. <laughs> Settle them I down. Think, with I think more kids spaghetti. have seen that than seen Elemental. <laughs> Probably true. Oh wow! Oh, uh, yeah, I, I, just just kidding. Elemental had a great hold week two. That's Come good. On, we love Pete's own. We love Pete's own. No, that was the Flash. Shows the Flash. And just in case we are, yeah, but nobody, nobody knows what the flash is. Very clearly kidding. Do not show your kids evil dead rise, please. Um, It is really, I would have loved it as a kid. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I'm 39 and I'm still, I was still horrified by it. I mean, it's a great, it's actually one of the best horror films I've seen in a long time. But do you guys, did you guys think that when you watched it, that it was, it was probably, and then this sounds, this might sound strange. I felt like there was no safety when I watched that film, because generally speaking, like there are certain characters who are off limits of getting hurt, but Mm. they just go all out in this film, like kids and and, and like to a point where I could not believe how shocking the violence was. It it, it felt I felt it in my stomach, kind of like probably the first time I felt that way, probably since Dr. Sleep or Sinister, where the, the movie was so brutally atmospheric in the way it was designed in the way it was utilizing its violence that no one felt safe. That's why Dr. Sleep is so terrifying because of Jacob Tremblay's sequence or, oh, dude. um, but I mean, he terrifying. talks about his sound design and the, the, the work he did on his sound design in that, like there's a scene in the beginning with the scalp, there's a scalp hitting a, a, a deck or a dock. I'm not sure what yeah. you use in that, in that instance. And it's really horrible to 
horrible. It's oh, just yeah. horrible. So, and then the, I don't want to go too deep into the... specifics in case people are listening to this and haven't yet seen Evil Dead Rise, but you should. It's on home video now. So, as I mentioned uh, at the beginning of the show, this is Indiana Jones uh, and the Dial of Destiny episode. And so we're going to get to review the film in a hot second. But before we do that, it's tier list time. And again, this time visual element of the show. Go to the YouTube channel so you can see this amazing graphic that Gabe pulls up whenever we do one of the tier lists. Yeah. So to hop into it, if it's your first time joining us for a tier list, I'll give you the rigmarole. We are going to go through each film of the franchise and rank it from S tier, which is uh, above and beyond through F um, and haven't seen. But we've seen all of these save for I haven't seen Dial of Destiny yet. I'm seeing I'm seeing that this weekend, but these gentlemen have and they'll add it to our tier list. But yeah, we're going to go through, um, have a general discussion about each of these films, and then we'll each give our rank of where we would put it on our own list. We average that a- out and that becomes the real blend ranking. Yes, Sean. I have a question. I'm sorry. Yeah. Is this one of the situations where we can only have one S? No, that's the same thing. We we in the past, we've reserved that for filmmakers. We wanted to have a masterpiece for okay. franchises. We've we have tons of S's. This is a limited franchise. We we could do that if we want to. Um, do you guys want to? I think that actually would make it harder because there's only five. No, I, I, I would like. Well, Here's the not, thing. Not to, not to show our hand, but I I think if we need to abide by the same rules for all series, if we like, if it was weird to yeah. shake it up. I see what you're saying for continuity, for consistency's sake. And I also, I was going to start with this. We can just dive into it because we'll get to each one. So we don't have to go on a complete tangent with this. I've only seen four of these five. And I would argue there are three S's, but we will come back around um, and we will start with Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Who wants to start start us off? Jake, I know you just rewatched all of these fairly recently. Do you want to jump in? Uh, I mean, you know, I Raiders is is an S, not just within the the realm of the Indiana Jones franchise, but in the realm of cinema. Like if you were going to rank the movies of the, you know, of the 80s or, you know, the greatest films of all time. Raiders would be an S. It yeah. is it is a, a perfect film. Seminal. It's in, not a seminal in, action movie. Yeah. It's not a seminal like, you know, dramatic movie or whatever. It is just seminal film. The art form. Yeah. It's Raiders. it's Spielberg and George Lucas defining our childhood by paying homage to the things that define their childhood. It is it it's, is an absolute masterpiece of well, adventure. And we use this w- phrase often um for films like this and what i will say is there isn't an ounce of fat on this movie. No. like every mm. scene is important there's ne- there's not a lull you know exposition is exciting uh it's just it's terrific it, it might have the um i i think it has one of the most flawless runtimes of of you know of all time and you say it defines our childhood and that's of course it came around at a certain point but the thing about raiders is that you could show it to any generation at any oh, time yeah and i think that they're gonna dial into it and yeah, i'll use yeah. my own boys as an example brendan went through a phase when he was a little kid where he was obsessed with indiana jones obsessed because it just it hit him in that sweet spot of yeah. right where he was at that age and it's just adventure has a name and it's indiana jones and it's kind yeah, of you i know, think i'm oh, sorry go ahead Kev. I, I think Raiders is as close to a perfect film as you can get. Like, like mm-hmm. it's like, like God, like I always think of Godfather part two Raiders is essentially perfect. And like, in, just in terms of, I don't have, 
you know, any issues with the pacing in Raiders. The action is fantastic. Also, uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge said this the other day, which I thought was really interesting, which was when Raiders came out, Indiana Jones wasn't an iconic character. They, right. they uh, you know, Steven Spielberg just drops you into this world. I mean, if you could go back to that year and watch that film outside of the concept of who Indiana Jones is to us now and just the way that movie was made for the audience at the time before Indy was iconic is pretty incredible because the moment we're dropped into this world and we, you know, you have these dueling characters. I mean, I would argue that, you know, Indy as a teacher and Indy, you know, and doing his the Indiana Jones type thing is, is really, you know, it's a Clark Kent Superman type thing, mm-hmm. I would argue. Um, you know, and, and, you know, at, at home, he's a teacher and everybody loves him as a teacher. But then he goes out into the world. and He's doing these, you know, I wouldn't say I guess superhuman type things at times or escaping death and in, in very insane situations. Um, but the opening of Raiders is so brilliant too. just the way we're we're behind Harrison uh, Ford as we're walking up. And then with the Steven Spielberg reveal and he turns around um, and also think about these things that now have become iconic, the hat, the whip, um, the, you know, the boulder. I mean, all all, all these things in the time period in the that vacuum. Song. Yeah. yeah, these were all these were all just like these were all just pieces of a movie that had not become iconic yet. But I, I will say this. One of the things I do love about Raiders, aside from the runtime and, and the perfect pacing, um, is as I rewatched it before my recent Harrison Ford interview, they do a really good job of making Indiana Jones this character who seems like he's not vulnerable and seems like he doesn't have an ability to be hurt emotionally. Um, and he kind of has this hard surface to him. And then there's this moment where Marion, he thinks Marion's dead. And then he realizes she's alive. And he like grabs her and kisses her. And it was it was it, and in the rewatch that hit me differently at 39 years old than it did as a kid, mm. because it was just this moment of like the piercing the armor of this guy, because this guy, you know, he, it felt like he could just walk through life and just do whatever he wanted to do in terms of like his confidence. But then to see him kind of break a bit, same thing happened in Last Crusade, which we'll get to when he's like saying dad or he's tied to Sean Connery or there's there's just these moments of vulnerability that I, I think pay off so beautifully in Dial of Destiny. Um, and that and rewatching Raiders kind of solidified that concept of this character being so interesting and and full of uh, it's it's a fully realized beautiful character that's oh not just one note there's so much to him it's in, it's insane one thing for me that that always stands out about this film when i rewatch it is that i don't think there's a film that does this better i think this is the blueprint and this is this is the definition of creating an icon and creating yeah. iconography i would recommend anyone who wants to rewatch it to think of it through that filter and just kind of watch it Thinking about what Spielberg was was uh, thinking about and some of his motivations, because it's so clear how um, intentional it is for him to create Indiana Jones as to have that stick in your head as a character, as an icon, whether it's the obviously the opening and the way that he's revealed um, all the way down to the costume and everything. The scene for me that really puts that together is of the silhouette when they're digging on the oh, hill. Oh, that the scene, sun. when yeah. he does that, that is the most simple image when he breaks it down to a literal icon. It's a silhouette of Indiana Jones that if you see anything that it looks like that, you think Indiana Jones. And he yep. does that after the only scene in the movie where he's dressed like another character. He's in the disguise with the robes on. Oh, right. And it's, yeah. it, it's, it always strikes me at how intentional Spielberg is in that moment of, I hid my character 
for a scene, for mm. a sequence. And now in the very next one, I'm going to give that simple shot to remind you that this is the icon. This is the character that, that the name on the poster. Yep. And I think that throughout, there's many through lines, as Kevin mentioned, you know, whether it's the emotions or even just the plot itself that are extraordinary. And, but for me, thinking about Spielberg, especially Spielberg um, in his prime Spielberg, like really humming, this is one thing that he contributed, I think for, for filmmakers ever since then about how to, how to use the tools of filmmaking to create something iconic. I think it's fantastic. I do find it really fascinating, though, to think about things like that in a vacuum kind of thing, like even with Jaws or, or films that have become iconic that were made at the time before there was any iconic aspect to it. And because remember, this movie was just called Raiders of the Lost Ark when it first came out. Right. So it was just Raiders of the Lost Ark, I believe. Right. There was no Indiana Jones in the title. It's still Raiders of the Lost Ark. I, anyone who changes yeah. it to that other yeah. title is ridiculous to me. I, I, I won't know, accept but- that. But as a series, as we're looking at it right now on the screen, that's just how it's been. It's like Star Wars. I mean, Star Star Wars Wars, was Star Wars. Now it's It's episode four. Right. It's always going to be Star Wars. Right. Right. But 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 in all honesty, like I think Raiders and this this is going to be a hot take. I actually think Raiders is my favorite Harrison Ford um, performance, favorite Harrison Ford movie. And I also I also think I like John Williams indie theme more than Star Wars. Oh, I I agree with that. I just think oh, wow. and I love Star Wars. I love the Star Wars theme. It's weird. Growing up, I was more of an indie fan from a trilogy perspective than I was a Star Wars fan. I, I was like, I would always argue that indie and Lord of the Rings were my favorite trilogies and Star Wars was great. I love Star Wars, but I always really found myself attracted to or uh, more immersed in the world of indie because there was just something, I don't know, there's something different about it. And obviously it's more grounded. Um, clearly they went into aliens in the fourth one, but you know, it, it is, it is very, it's to me, it's just, I don't know. I, I love that. I love this character so much. I know we're going to say, yeah, that's an S, but while you're putting yeah. it up into S, I want to bring up this idea of creating iconography. Cause I find this to be really interesting. Um, and while we're having this conversation right now, um, because I don't know if the, filmmakers who are making these movies in the moment are thinking in those terms. Um, yeah, like I, I think know. when George Lucas was making star Wars, he was just trying to complete his movie. Maybe and I even mm. think with Spielberg, I don't think Spielberg was thinking of this as a, as a franchise that we would still I, be talking about. I, want to push back later. I don't think it necessarily, not in the terms of a franchise. Again, that's why it's not called Indiana Jones. Yeah. But I think that he was absolutely pulling from his own childhood and these yeah. larger than life characters and these, these, you know, big tent pole movies, so to speak at the time that were centered on a hero. And I, I think it's so clear how, how much, attention he was paying to to all those details to mm-hmm. create something that is recognizable that it's when you like you know when you see a whip you think of indiana jones when you see yeah. that style of hat you think of indiana jones when you look at laura croft or uncharted all you can yeah. see is this is indiana jones in a new do you, you know, know the closest light. thing that i think compares in our generation post raiders is the matrix i think sure. all the iconography <laughs> sure. that comes with the matrix is instantly associated with sure. the matrix Glasses, jacket, also Leather trench coats. Uh, yeah, Gabe trench does. Coats. Gabe, Gabe brings up an interesting point because while I, I'm kind of with both of you, I don't know that Spielberg knew, a, you know, in his mind, like I'm creating an icon. But then the the shot choice that Gabe brings up is fascinating because that's my favorite shot in, all, in, in any Indiana Jones film. I think it's also Jake's as well. And you're right, though, because that it 
while he may not have think, okay, this is going to be iconic in 30, 40 years. Yeah, I don't think I don't think he was thinking that in that terms. I think he was literally graphically thinking of it as yeah. I am creating the the visual of this character has to be as recognizable as Harrison yeah. Ford himself. Mm-hmm. You're right. And you know, I mean, if, if you took that image and, and, and just like zoomed into his silhouette without any indication of telling the person what it was or where it's from. And you know, oh, yeah. I can't I'd imagine love to ask anybody him, wouldn't I'd know. love to ask Spielberg anything, obviously, but I'd love to ask Spielberg um, about that, about like, is that true? Is that a good read? But I also wonder, you know, does that come from the storytelling standpoint or does that come from this is Han Solo and I need people not to see Han Solo. Like, I wonder yeah, it could be how, oh, yeah. how many different motivations there could be. Sure. For trying to give it well, such a striking. I, I uh, interviewed um, like two years ago, Deborah Nadulman, who did the uh, all the costume design. She got an Oscar nomination for doing the costume design great, for, for Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's a great piece. Um, you have that on your YouTube channel? Yeah, it's on my YouTube channel. Check that out. And uh, she said that whenever she met Spielberg, uh, whenever they were going through what Indy was going to look like, he kept saying, well, I want this and I want this and I want this. And she just goes, just just draw it. Just just draw the oh, really? just, just draw and and she she still has it to this day she sent me a picture of it uh the she still like he drew indiana jones They're like with, oh, the, with the with the hat and everything she and, should sell uh, that sketch she <laughs> got millions <laughs> really quick before we move on to temple i want to run something by you guys to see how you feel about this it is uh I don't know if you've if you've heard like the whole the the Raiders controversy in terms of the 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 flaw of the movie. Um, and in fact, there's an entire Big Bang Theory episode about it. Is which it is where a, he ends up on the outside of a submarine and then somehow no, gets inside of it? It is that Indiana Jones has no impact whatsoever on the outcome of the story. Oh, yeah. I think that that's accurate. I mean, I don't, I don't think that that's I don't think that's wrong. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's one of those things. It's like, yeah, I guess technically, yes, it doesn't ruin the movie for me. Don't want to know. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'm it's okay just that. that it's 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 just that whether or not Indy was there, the, the Nazis get the Ark to the island, open it up and they all die. Yeah, mm. it I happens, see. It happens yeah. whether or not he's there or not. Interesting. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. But then I guess the difference being that America ends up with the Ark. Right. Instead I'm sure. Huh. Yeah. I, it, but that's sort of just that's sort of just reducing down that one scene. Sure. It's not necessarily. Uh, if you get the chance, I, it, even there's a it, it's a very funny Big Bang Theory episode. And in fact, at the beginning of the episode, Sheldon's girlfriend, quote unquote, ruins Raiders for him by pointing that out. So he spends the entirety of the episode finding things that she loves and trying to ruin them for her <laughs> as a result. That's, that's funny. Well, yeah. let's let's pick it up because we do have a review let's to go. get to as well. Um, so we'll probably I think we've talked about Indiana Jones as a as a uh, a character, as a product a lot there. So we'll try not to retread that Temple of Doom. I will go first quickly just because I said I think there are three S's thinking about doing this. I wrestled with the external pressure of uh, sort of Temple of Doom being being viewed as subpar. For me, I can't get I can't get over the fact that I think as a kid, this might have been my favorite one. Mm. And gotcha. so for me, I think it's so much fun. I think that especially at a young age, it felt so dangerous. Um, it felt like, you know, the, pulling the heart out and the monkey brains and like it felt so dark at that age. On top of the fact that Short Round is, was just the perfect surrogate for a for a young kid watching someone getting to, getting to hang out with Indiana Jones. <laughs> it's, like, it's like last action hero almost like the yeah, idea of like so, a, ki- a kid I, just going along with, I the, with this iconic character. I couldn't possibly give it an A just because, you know, not everyone agrees with me, 
Um, and I wrestle with that a little bit thinking like, well, am I wrong? You know, like, should I think of this more? But I, for me, it's an S I'll let you guys go from here. But for me, it's, it's, it's a, just a perfect movie. I'm going to uh, go. Gonna, go ahead, Jake. I'm going to, I'm going to give it a B. It, it is, it is flawed for me. Um, it's one of those frustrating movies where the stuff in the movie I love, I love beyond measure and I worship like when it, when it works, but the stuff I don't like um i'm looking at you still not like the opening it is still my least of the five movies it is my least favorite opening and i'm sorry and i and i I, kate capshaw almost derails the movie and almost honestly brings it down further than a b i get that they were trying to do something opposite of marion but that has got to be one of the most grating characters and 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 recent recent memory how long ago this movie come out but it right and also too because also keep in mind it it's also one of my least favorite renditions of of indie in that because keep in mind this takes place before raiders of the lost ark and it's it's really it shows how far he's come as a character because they really emphasize that like this indie is is not doing things because it quote unquote belongs in a museum. He's doing things for 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 like money and glory at this point. And it's mm-hmm. a nice to it's nice to sort of know that that the character evolved fortune and glory, excuse fortune me. And glory. Fortune and glory. God um and, and and so it's just you know I, I like my you know I like my indie doing things for the right reason. I like my indie, you know, saving things because, you know, they belong in a museum. So right. like seeing, seeing him do it for the wrong reason back in the day, was sort of a, and I get that sort of, that's sort of the evolution of, of that film. I don't know. Uh, it, it, there, and there's just a lot of stuff about this movie that hasn't aged well. Um, so sure. yeah, but, but yeah. you know, Kate Capshaw leading the way in terms of a handful of things that just keep this from, from even being like when a she puts a perfume on the elephant to make it smell better. And just just her her screaming Indy's name just throughout the entirety of the movie. I just I oh it just it really. Kev, where are you at? Uh, um, so, yeah, I so I rewatched uh, this film as well before my interview and Temple still has my favorite opening. Um, I'm in, I'm in an A for this. Um, okay. I I don't disagree with Jake about Kate Capshaw. Um, that definitely was is a lot more obvious now to me as I watch it older as an older age. Um, and again, there's nothing, her performance is fine. It's just the there, there there's something about like Jake said about her yelling his name over and over again. And I, I would literally just sit there and think I want to I want to hear what other people are saying in this scene. Um, and, you know, I think the short on character is incredible. Um, I'm very, very uh, listen, I, I, that film, as I watched it, to like recently it's one of the most violent movies i that i can imagine having a pg rating and this is obviously you know this is not new news but that's the movie that eventually led to the pg-13 um which was red dawn the first pg-13 ever i believe because temple of doom was so brutal but even like the monkey brain scene that whole sequence to me is just just it's almost to a point of like I can't watch it. I like I have to fast forward through that scene. Um, It and maybe it's just a gross out factor. I don't know. But that scene just rubs me the wrong way in terms of like, I don't know. I I don't love that scene. As I watch it, as I get older, I just I I literally skip it. It's just that's just too gross. Um, But, you know, Temple is an Temple has so many great moments in it that I can't go below an A. 
but I understand the ceiling, like Jake, the ceiling yeah. coming down, the spike ceiling, like it's such a oh, great sequence, great mm-hmm. scene. And as Jake said, you know, some of the, you know, there's things in this film that didn't age well, and 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 I don't know. I I still I've I've always felt like I've defended Temple, even even when we had Quentin Tarantino on at his house, which sounds insane to say. Um, Tarantino defended Temple of Doom as well, and you know, and what he thought I was about say, that did movie. Did he say he didn't like it? I forgot. No, he no, said he did it, like it's, it. It's his favorite Spielberg. Yeah, that's his favorite Spielberg. Did he say what? Oh no, he said no. Me and Tarantino happen to have a lot in common, guys. What can I say? (laughs) Yeah, no, I think I think he said Jaws was the best movie ever made, but I think he said Temple. He 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 likes Temple. Um, I don't want to put words in his mouth. I I think you're right. It was something like Jaws was the best movie, and he and he he was specific about movie and not film, and he kind of think he made that difference. And then I think he might have said Temple was his favorite. Uh, Yeah, so I'm 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 gonna get to Sean, but I'm in an A for this one. I will. I, I do agree with Jake, though. The Kate Capshaw thing, uh, as I got older, as I get older, is is also, dude, when Sean, they burn that guy, when they burn that guy alive after they pull his heart out, it, it is so brutal. Like, yes. It's so, it. br- it's so it. brutal. That's movie yeah. making, baby. Special effects. Woo. It's awesome. Classic. I, uh, yeah. Sean, where are you at? I think I'm going to go. I'm going to go a also, but I'm a lot closer to B than i thought i was and again this is from a rewatch um i don't think the pacing of it is as good as i remembered it to be um like kevin just said i kind of ended up skipping over a a few chunks um especially in that front half it's Uh, so incredible that something that has so and i'm not putting this down your your guys's opinions on this but it's so incredible this series that you know we're we're doing the we're splitting the hairs of you know the A and the B or whatever. But think about how many iconic like the bridge scene, like how many scenes well, in this. That's are just what such... salvages it from the minute yeah. they get into the mine oh, cars yeah. through the, the mine bridge cars scene. Awesome, the mine oh. car sequence. You know what killed me though on the rewatch that the raft that kid with the no, I didn't mind the raft. I think the raft looks fine for what it is. I think they know that that looks goofy. Um, the kid with the. Uh, what are those dolls where you stab them and then oh, you feel like the, the pain. voodoo doll? Is that right? God, did that Something sequence like that? go yeah. on for like a half an hour? <laughs> I didn't remember yeah. that scene being so long. And it was like, and Harrison Ford is doing like the worst kind but of. But he's on the conveyor sort of belt. Thing. That's what the conveyor belt. Like oh, another I know gray... Spielberg cut to those rocks being grind- yeah. grinded up like a Spiel- hundred Spielberg's times. approach in that was just how can I stitch together a suspenseful bit of machinery, a suspenseful like. Yeah, that's so, so much. I think um, I think the biggest difference between Raiders and Temple is Raiders is more fun. It's mm-hmm. just a more fun. It's just more fun. Yeah, it's this, one's, fun. this one's dark. This one's what? dark. Yeah. Temple Raiders dark. is flawless and Temple is flawed. Temple has flaws. So I I would I'm leaning B, but I think I the sequence is. It sounds like you're describing a B. I'm just no. I'm not trying to get you to agree with me, but it sounds no, like you're because the sequence is. I think it has a shot. I think the shot there's a shot in this movie that I think rivals the the horizon. You know the sunset horizon shot, which is I, was, I think I was telling Jake this on um, when the mine car uh, rolls up on Indiana Jones after he has broken the spell. Uh, and it kind of the light comes up from like his and, and catches him in his face and you realize yeah. it's Indiana Jones again. I think that's a better shot. Uh, I think that's a better, a better, shot. Sh- a better shot of the hero All right, we'll uh, stepping back into. But I either think way, the opening is amazing. Whether you picked uh, A or B, that's going to put us at an A for Temple of Doom. We So we have S for Raiders, A for Temple of Doom for those yeah. who are only listening audio. But come on over to YouTube. Hang out with us. Drop your, you know. Thoughts in the comments. That's what that's what's fun about YouTube. But we're going to jump into Indiana Jones and the last 
Crusade. Uh, right, look, Sean, do you yeah, want to start us? I would love to start us because this is a B and it can't go any higher. Um, it's the weakest of the three. Wait, oh, what? interesting. You're, you're joking, wait, wait, right? Wait, did no. you say B? B, this is a B and it shouldn't you be. Say, you're, saying, you're saying the last crusade is a B? Wow. I'm saying the last crusade is a B. I thought it shouldn't be. Are you doing a like you're a doing bit? a bit? You, you're, he's doing a bit. Doing a bit. Oh, no, no, wow. no. Jake, he's doing, he's doing a bit. He's doing a bit. No, no, no. You here's guys a, here's have the TikTok, a, folks. You guys have a nostalgic um, aspect to Crusade because it probably, I'm going to guess for most of you guys, was the first one you saw. No, Raiders, for me, it was always Raiders. No, so yeah, get, Raiders, yeah. yeah. Ra- Raiders, yeah. Raiders was the one that I... Because yeah. Crusade was the, the one that I think probably came to theaters around the time that you guys were, uh, you know, of the age of going to the theaters and absorbing yeah, it. Yeah, because Sean, you were, you were already, Sean was already 70 I was, I was covering the serials from 1940 that Spielberg was referencing <laughs> in Raiders. <laughs> Mr. Spielberg, um, can I ask you a question? That's how we, I, Sean used to talk like that. Mr. Spielberg. Sean used to talk like that, guys. Who's the blonde girl in Crusade? Ilsa? Ilsa? Mm-hmm. Ilsa? Oh, the, the Nazi? The, the least, one that he meets least in, uh, memorable, in The least oh. memorable Indiana Jones, um, love interest essentially uh i'd even put kate capshaw above her i don't i don't think there's anything memorable about about her as a character but see i don't really think of her as like a love interest though for some and reason. the um the father-son dynamic doesn't work for me the way that it works for other people i think wow. it's hacky i think their shtick gets old incredibly fast yeah no. see for um, me this is this is my this is my sean connery movie Oh, the rock it's fascinating to me well like i just and i'm talking about from the way that i the way that i i didn't see any of these until a decade after this movie came out the comedy me. in this one doesn't hit for me it doesn't play for me like when the two of them are in the chairs tied side by side and they yeah. gotta oh, hop around because the flames are coming it's just just i think just down down like when he throws scene. the guy and he's like no ticket i think to yeah i mean the, there's so many elements of this movie that throughout the middle of it that I think could just get pulled out. Um, I think the opening train sequence is fantastic. Um, yeah, I actually, you know, this is a selfish reason to say that why I wish River Phoenix had lived. I wish River Phoenix was still with us for multiple roles, sure. but I think it would have been tremendous if River Phoenix was still an actor today and could have assumed the Indiana Jones role as an older person. He would have been a natural person to sort of step in for Ford and continue the franchise, but he was outstanding in that opening sequence. And then everything with the grail at the end is great. That's great. Those two bookends are terrific. I think in the middle, there's enough forgettable stuff that it's a B for me. Jake, I'm going to ask for your, um, because I know you have a hard out. So I'll ask for your truncated. Give me your quick thoughts, but also your, your grade. Uh, it's an S for me. Um, not only do oh, I yeah, think I mean, it's an absolute masterpiece of Indiana Jones, it's probably it's top 10 Spielberg for me. Um, yeah. It is just it's it's everything that and we'll get into it. It's everything that I really wish Dial of Destiny was and that it's just sweeping all over. The, it's it's I love it. I absolutely love, love, love Last Crusade. I think the dynamic between uh, Sean Connery and Harrison Ford is one of the best aspects of any of the five films am i wrong mm-hmm. in saying that i feel like some people hold this up as their favorite or mm-hmm. the best like yeah. i think this is that's why i'm so surprised yeah, I, thought, I thought sean did okay kev no. so kev yeah you you think this is the best this is my well, crusade's my favorite i think raiders okay. is overall the better movie sure, okay but Cru- okay. crusade is an s no question uh the river phoenix opening is incredible the sean connery dynamic is incredible uh I, you know the name reveal there's there's just so much in this film that I love. And I, and I think 
that chemistry between him and Sean Connery to me is what makes this film an S, no question. Yeah. And I think at, oh, at the same time, so like, funny. but I'm also, but I'm also, uh, and Sean and Drew I argue about this all the time. Drew Law. You talk about Kate Capshaw uh, saying India a million times. Okay, if I Sean hear Connery Sean Connery saying Drew, Shane Drew 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 that's Drew awesome. Drew no, yeah. it's not. We I named think, the dog Indiana. It's fine the first hundred times, and then I after that, it's, awesome. it's just tiresome. But I, I, I and I'm, <laughs> I'm that's just going to spit. That's his name, name. Julia. But that's the that's the payoff. That's the emotional payoff, though, when he finally calls him Indiana. Yeah, like three wow. or that's four. Like the, and, he's all, and he only calls him Indiana. I'm pretty sure whenever he says "let it go." Didn't Spielberg say that's oh. like his favorite? It's his like favorite. Maybe maybe I'm misquoting of of who was it, but I want to say it was like Spielberg's favorite moment in Indiana Jones. Yeah, Indiana, finally, Indiana Letting Go his name. is is one of the oh, all time best Spielberg moments yeah. ever. They should also change the name of this one to Indiana Jones and the uh, Crusade right before yeah. the next to last. <laughs> well, I saw I saw someone someone tweeted that like, isn't it weird that of a five film series, three of the films. Or meant to be like series finales. One. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, let's Kev, give me your quick. I just sorry. This is your go. I want to get to you so that you have time to to talk it up because I know it's your fave. Um, no, but it's all I wanted to say this. was I just somehow for some reason I'm attracted to the to the third film in a lot of trilogies. So like yeah. I, I, I Back to the Future three. It's like the payoff. Yeah, maybe. But Back to the Future three is my favorite of the trilogy. Die Hard three is my favorite of the trilogy. Indy three is my favorite of the trilogy. Return of the King is my favorite of the trilogy. Um, I don't know what it is about the thirds, but like those are four examples. And weirdly enough, I would I would rather watch Return of the Jedi than the other two. Uh, I just think it's more fun. Um, And so and and, and I think the Return of the Jedi opener is my favorite. Is his favorite. No, that's what he said. You heard it here. But my 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 favorite (laughs) opening of a Star Wars movie is Return of the Jedi. Um, so I don't know what it is about threes, but I'm a big three guy. I don't All understand. Right. Now we have uh, the fourth film in the franchise, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I also have not. It's due for a rewatch. I also have not yeah. seen this since it came out, which I think is telling of of my opinion. Yeah. Of it, but <laughs> it's, uh, a it's a Jake, it's a C. I, Jake, I know you rewatched it. Sean, did, did you as well recently? Yeah, it's a C. I think C? it's a C. Okay. I think uh, yeah, even with the elements that work, it can't go higher than a C. Jake. Yeah, it's a C for me as well. And and it's the thing is, it's it's a frustrating C. And I feel like I'm going to describe it in the same way they describe Temple of Dune. And that like the stuff that it's frustrating because there is stuff that really works in there. Like somewhere in there are like kernels of great indie moments. Like say what you want to about like the whole nuke the fridge thing. I love the opening in the warehouse and I love that it's the warehouse from the end of of Raiders. I thought that was great. Um, I, I don't mind the the alien i know that the, the thing is that they're not even really aliens was it they're 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 creatures from like other dimensions they're interdimensional beings i don't think they ever use the word aliens because like if if indy is supposed to be sort of reflective of the media that was sort of popular at the time of you know of, of of when the story is existing it feels natural that there would be like an indiana jones area 51 kind of like that sure. that that doesn't seem out yeah, of the realm yeah. of possibility but there are just so many moments and decisions where you just look at it and go what are you thinking like and i know ever the one everyone points to is uh you know is is, is much is it's shia labeouf swinging on 
awful. The, but what's it's frustrating the, is the that, worst like, scene in any Spielberg movie yes. ever made. But the thing, but what's frustrating <laughs> is, is that it comes in in the middle of what I thought was a really great chase scene. That I think that chase scene through the jungle is kind of cool. It is good. Uh, yeah. Like there, there are moments where you know, and and even in, in the moments, even in like the sequences that aren't great, it's still like Spielberg still knows how to direct a scene. Like he like there's. Yeah. The, the shit's still directed well. So it's frustrating for me to say C because there, it should be better, but I can't. I agree with you, Sean. I can't go higher than a C. I, from recollection, I also had it at a C. Kev, do you have any, do you have any strong thoughts? Uh, do you have, from, from memory, where would you put it? Nothing to add except for it's a C and I haven't seen it since it first came out. Yeah, now, same. I will say I do love, I did love that opening of Crystal Skull. I think I yeah. actually think the Crystal Skull yeah. opener is great. Um, uh, even the bomb I think, thing. I think the bomb thing is fun. And Ray right, Winstone, folks. right? I thought I actually think he's good at it. We have arrived. I have to give you guys uh, some time here to give your spoiler-free reactions, reviews um, to Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, and then we will hop back into this briefly to add it to this list. Okay. Um, but who wants to start us off? So that? I'll. St- I'd like to start um, because I think the oh, the only question that we need to answer because the only reason that this movie exists is because the people involved with Indiana Jones wanted to give it a give the character a better send off than what he received in Crystal Skull. And I think that they gave him a far better send off, uh, a much oh, yeah. more proper capper uh, to the franchise. Um, you know, they 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 managed to stick the landing by giving themselves another shot at it, basically. <laughs> um, but in addition to that, uh, James Mangold did an excellent job of taking over for Steven Spielberg, which is not easy to do, especially with his seminal franchise uh, or one of his seminal franchises. Um, and Harrison Ford to me uh, was more invested than I'd seen him in a film in a really long time. I thought that he Agreed. was truly, uh, Oh God, pardon the pun dialed into what Ooh, he man. needed to do for oh. this character. Would you say he was like time. destined to play this role? <laughs> <laughs> And and the guys I'm sure are going to mention Phoebe Waller Bridge, who is terrific in this part. Excellent. Um, and and Indy, it feels like it feels like Indy needs a counterpart in almost all of these films, and she's probably one of the strongest ones that we've seen up to this point. Um, the action set pieces are terrific. The MacGuffin that they're chasing is significant. Uh, we we're going to talk about another summer blockbuster later on this uh, this year that I think has a terribly weak MacGuffin and ruined the film for me. Um, But this is not the case with this one. I thought the dial of destiny is fantastic. I read a quote about um, Mangold where uh, later on, we'll be able to talk about the third act, I guess, but he gives some explanations as to what happens in that third act. And I thought all of his explanations made a ton of sense. I just was, I think Kevin said it this way. I was laughing my whole, the whole time I was just like giddy with what this film was able to do. Um, it acknowledges his age. It it the age is part of the action, and um and and I was into it from the get go. I thought the opening sequence with the flashback is phenomenal. Um, I you know it, it was one of those things where I was able to surf over any kind of like a technical aspect where I was like, oh maybe that you know. And it was funny because I'm the one who was beating it up, you know, and looking at that green screen stuff from the chase scene that they kept showing. Uh, and Kevin said to me, because he got to see it earlier, he was like, no, nah, I didn't even notice it in that moment. And sure enough, when I got mm. to that chase, I was like, no, nah, I don't care. I'm just I'm so along for the ride. I'm so along with what this this uh, movie is doing that um, I am thrilled that uh, Dial of Destiny got made and is back in theaters uh, for Indiana Jones. Forget one last ride 
uh, and send the character off the way you should go. Jake. Yeah. Um, I, you know, what's funny is I, I think I was the first one of the group to see it and I walked out going, you know, I, I liked that. I liked it. You know, I liked it. I liked it. The more I think about it, the more I'm, I'm into it. The more I think about it, the more I sit and settle with it, the more it's all working for me. I agree with Shauna that it is a really nice, um, not perfect, but a really nice send off and farewell. You know, without getting to spoilers, uh, it takes a big swing in the final act, a big swing. And I think a, I think it's good. A lot of people are going to be along for the ride and then potentially go one of two directions with that. But, you know, I was even thinking about that and like imagine watching Raiders for the, I, I think sometimes we forget that all of the movies take big swings. They do in yes. the last act, but yep. we've, but we've come to accept them as just yeah. part of the story. Opening like, the box like, and melting yeah, everybody's no face. No one questions about the fact that like they open the arc and like, imagine being in the theaters and you're watching a fairly straightforward adventure. And then at the very end, the dude's right. face gets melted off and all these or, like spirits come out of the arc or he finds he, the, a knight from Christ's yes. time. You know, after I kind of settled with it and again, sometimes this is nice to, to have the opportunity to see a movie and let it and not have to, as we often complain, about have to knee jerk react to you know give a review immediately sometimes it's nice to settle with a movie and it really did give me a perspective of like no this is an indiana jones movie this is what an indiana jones movie is and it does very well what i love most about indiana jones movies mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm i'm very happy with it and yeah i honestly think it is one of the best performances of harrison ford's career yeah. Bef- before we get to the tier list we have kevin's review kevin where yeah. are you at I loved this film. Um, might be my favorite movie of the year so far. Um, yeah. That's awesome. I, 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 I was just, and again, I sat down in that theater and it was just, it went by so fast. Um, to me, this is a better Spielberg film than Crystal Skull. And, 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 yeah. and it sounds crazy to say, but I think Mangold captured Spielberg's magic that was very apparent in the first three. Not that the, not that Crystal Skull doesn't have Spielberg magic. Of course it does, but this to me felt more Spielberg than Crystal Skull. And that sounds strange to say. Um, the I think the Phoebe Waller bridge dynamic is awesome. Um, the action is awesome. And Sean brings up a point about effects and green screen and things like that. Sometimes when you're so narratively in a sequence, suspensive disbelief wise, like and you're just like if the action is serving the narrative, those things, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that you can't that green screen needs to be perfect. I mean, there are shots that I was like, oh, okay, that that could have been done a little better. But there are sometimes when you're sweep when you're swept up in an action sequence and and it's serving the narrative in a great way. Because one thing I think Mangold does well here is every single bit of action services the characters, it services mm-hmm. the story, it services their intentions, where they're doing, what they're trying to get to. Um, and I think when you're swept up that way, it it just plays differently. Um, the third act to me is one of the most special, in my opinion, one of the most special aspects that's ever happened to Indy's character. Um, mm-hmm. I won't go into details when we get into spoilers, we can, but there's an emotional beat to that third act that to me is the entirety of who Indy is in terms of an arc. Um, no pun intended, but you go back to Raiders <laughs> uh, and, the, and when you go back to Raiders though, the guy you meet in Raiders, that indie, and I know Temple's before that from a from a from a you know, chronological standpoint. But the character we meet in Raiders to the end of this film and the character that indie is to me, that was the whole that's it. That's that's uh, there's a I can't say anything else about it, but I will tell you 
that terrific there's a look, arc. There, there's an arc that he gets that just floored me. Um, and oh, we're also leaving point, out the fact that at the end of Crystal Skull, he sees a spaceship surface from the ground. <laughs> from the ground, right. so right. there's a lot of stuff that we could just have to go with it with this franchise. To, to Jake's point, though, it, you know, it, it, you're either going to be in or out on how this third act unfolds. And I just I was just sitting there in the theater going there. there there's just there's just shots of Indy's face that I think were were things I wanted to see from him for the since the 80s. It was just kind of a beautiful thing. And it's a beautiful tribute. And I got to say, and this is not a spoiler. This is just a this is just a, a, a tip to what Mangold did. I think the ending of this film is perfect um like there's a the the last five minutes and the last shot i think are perfect like they're literally perfect so again this is all this is also not a spoiler their explanation for why shia labeouf is not in this film is ah It is. Yeah. Oh, it is yeah. fantastic. Oh, that scene is a scene on a boat. That's so great. That okay, scene but is now so all great. That being yeah. said without because we can't get into specifics and spoilers. Right. There are yeah. one or two things throughout it that make me put it in an A. I think it's okay. an A. I don't think it's an S. Oh, I think it's an A. Uh, oh, it's definitely an A. I mean, there's no you know, I mean, I'm, I'm in an A as well. And, and my it's not I, original I love, trilogy. Right. It's but 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 I will say it made me feel like I was yes. watching the original trilogy. Agreed. And, Agreed. And I I would argue and this might sound blasphemous and people can kill me all they want. Kill I you. think I think it's right there with temple if not slightly better oh i i think that's so we have two we have two a's uh jake uh i would i would go very high b um Mm, okay just because it's just so new and it's hard for me to to consider putting it quite as an a but reserve the right when we're still bitching about this in 20 years to move (laughs) it back up to an a cool um well that that's our tier list uh, the end the, the third the third the third act is an s in my cool. opinion but okay. that's, that's just for the, I, I think i think anyone would be i think any filmmaker would look at that and go okay it's i'm good. happy yeah, yeah. um yes. for the folks at home for the folks for the folks at home listening to audio only um in the s tier we have raiders of the lost ark um and the last crusade at a we have temple of doom um, and the Dial of Destiny, which uh, I think is a firm recommendation to go see that this weekend. Um, and then coming in at C, our only C and our only thing below an A um, is Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which I don't think is any surprise. Before we close out the episode, Kevin, I do have to ask a question. If they come to you and ask, will you let them quote you on the box that says my favorite movie of the year, Kevin McCarthy. And then in parentheses, it says I haven't seen Oppenheimer yet. (laughs) (laughs) It comes with an asterisk and Disney puts, but he hasn't seen Oppenheimer (laughs) review as of this date. And then really far below that in really tiny font. And he's not ready. He's not ready. <laughs> He's still not ready. I thought a fun note to end on. I did get an email today um, asking if I if it would be OK if they quoted what? me for the uh, oh. box, for the Blu-ray box <laughs> of Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse, yeah. which now makes it uh, two for two in terms of things that Sean has written books about that I've ended up on the DVD cover of. Yeah. Jake is including on the Justice League, <laughs> Zack Snyder's Justice League DVD. And, and now he's going to be on across the Spider Verse, and I can't wait to find Beautiful. out what Bruce Willis 
DVD I'm going to be on. Beautiful. <laughs> Asshole. They, 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 re- they, they retro release Die Hard 1. <laughs> That's what I said. Jake's I said they're going to put Die Hard out and they ain't going to quote me Just on it. Just to put his quote on it. <laughs> All right. Let's start wrapping this up. Uh, this week's call to action. And then the place to go interact with this is in the comments below the YouTube video. Uh, we want to turn the tier list over to you guys. Give us your tier list for the Indiana Jones franchise. Where are you putting the five films in the series? If you are going out this weekend to go see uh, Dial of Destiny and you want to wait until you have that to be able to put in your tier list, then drop it uh, over the weekend. But let us know if you agree with us or if you have a totally different tier list from where we ended up. Yes, Gabriel. I have, uh, you know, not to just completely muddle this new thing that we're doing, but I have a second thing that I want to ask our audience to include in the comments, which I think will be fun. A little confusing. A little confusing. It's a little confusing. No, give us your tier list. Give us your tier list. Okay, you, gotta, you gotcha. can do that. You can you can head over to Tier Maker, and um, I put together a custom one that has all of it in there. You can probably find that and use that. But I also want to ask, because this week, the gentleman over at the Light the Fuse podcast announced oh, yeah. that they are now the official podcast of the um, Mission Impossible franchise. We're a bit of a um, jack of all trades. We cover everything. We're not that as specific. So I want to ask our, our diehard listeners, if we were the official podcast of anything, what would we be? Nolan. That's a good call. Action. <laughs> the good call. I couldn't do it. I could. I couldn't do a weekly podcast with Kevin saying I'm, I'm just, just just whispering. I'm not ready into a microphone. I couldn't do it. <laughs> Is there an First official all, Nolan podcast? Is there a podcast dedicated to his films? Because I feel like there probably should be. there's only. So first of all, there's only seven mission films. Nolan has how many movies? But I don't. It's probably close. Kevin's to pitching eight, a, new, nine. a new podcast. We, right now. No, we we <laughs> literally could do. Man, I would freak out. <laughs> yeah, start we with know. start we with know. start with following, and then oh, oh. yes, we're aware. We know. Yeah, we are doing a Nolan Take tier us list. out, Sean. Take us out, Sean. I feel like we are doing a Nolan tier list, and I feel like we also should do a mission tier list, right? We'll not see, not yeah, that we'll I'm teasing ahead of what we're going there. We'll All see, right. folks. Well, anyway. Keep a tier list for movies named Barbie. To find out if we're actually going to be doing this in the near future. <laughs> and in the meantime, follow us on social media, at Jake's Takes, at Kevin McCarthy TV, at Sean underscore O'Connell, at Gabe Kovach, and the show is at Real Blend. We look forward to seeing your comments underneath the YouTube channel, the two calls to actions, and we'll be back next week with some fun new interviews. Until then, Oppenheimer, pads. the man who moved the earth.